Welcome to Beyond the Buzz, S&P Global Ratings Sustainable Finance Podcast, where we dive into hot topics across the sustainability landscape. Welcome to Beyond the Buzz. I'm your host, Mike Ferguson. The topic of today's pod is skyrocketing property insurance losses and premiums driven by climate-related natural disasters around the country and what effect that is having on local governments and communities across the United States. Today, I'll be speaking with Nora Witstruck, Senior Director and ESG Sector Leader on S&P Global Ratings' U.S. Public Finance Team, about her latest commentary, Storm Clouds or Clear Skies Ahead, How Rising Insurance Premiums from Environmental Physical Risks Could Affect U.S. Local Government Credit Ratings. The article is the second in a two-part series exploring the potential credit impacts of higher property insurance premium costs due to growing physical climate risks on local governments, both the residents and their credit ratings. It's a fascinating area for us to be exploring, and Nora does a great job of putting it all into context for us. Nora, thank you for joining me on the pod today. Thanks, Mike. I'm really happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, with that, we'll get into some of the questions here. Nora, we've all seen that there have been increasing headlines over the last few years here. Natural disasters related to climate change, including floods and severe storms and wildfires and the like, they've become a lot more commonplace here in the U.S., And around the world, that's also true, but certainly we know that it's going to accelerate here, uh, just as it has been in recent years. Can you help set the scene for us? Would you mind telling us a little bit about where and how these physical climate risks are starting to play out, and specifically, how they seem to be impacting insurance providers across the country, and how those insurance providers are responding to this growing risk? Sure, I'm happy to. And, And I'll caveat my response by saying our insurance practice did help us with this commentary to provide a backdrop of how insurers deal with rising insurance premiums, specifically those that are driven by homeowners' ability to recapture costs associated with destruction or or problems with their property or their structures following an acute physical event. But In the last five years, uh, stemming from the period between 2017 and 2021, insured losses have climbed to about 52 billion, which is more than double what it was in the prior five-year period, according to the Insurance Services Office. While the way that insurance companies can recapture their losses is very dynamic and complex, one of the abilities for them to recapture their insured losses is through increasing premiums and what homeowners have to pay for property and casualty insurance. So what we've seen is that as environmental physical risks have really affected certain communities in in particular areas, and, and we'll talk a little bit later how we highlight California and Florida specifically, we believe that rising costs could somehow uh, eventually affect the economic basis in these communities as potentially the costs associated with maintaining a home in these areas could rise exponentially relative to the cost of insurance and other factors associated with having a home in those areas. 
Thank you, Nora. And I think that you hit on a point that we often talk about in our sustainable finance team, which is that what starts out as an environmental risk often can very soon become a social risk or even a governance risk. And certainly that seems to be manifesting here where these environmental catastrophes are, are leading to people's budgets being stretched and obviously leading to lower affordability in general on, on homes. But maybe if we switch over to some of the credit dynamics here, uh, we certainly know that insurance premiums are rising. I think uh, any of us who, who buy insurance see the evidence of that. Uh, but it's happening in the most vulnerable geographies in some cases. How do you think this is influencing U.S. local government ratings? Well, in the article, Mike, we point out specifically California and Florida local governments as sort of a case study, if you will, and how California in particular have been, you know, areas have been stricken with years and years of wildfires, somewhat due to the pervasive drought conditions in that state. And in Florida, multiple years of hurricanes or tropical storms or other severe weather events have led to insured losses. So in California, you know, the Valley and Butte fires resulted in the destruction of more than 1,700 homes and a billion in insured damages. Whereas, you know, in 2017, wildfires destroyed almost 15,000 homes, resulting in about $9 billion in insured damages. When you think about drawing this distinction to credit quality, most of the bonds or the uh, securities that we rate in our U.S. public finance group are backed by property taxes. And so when you have destruction of homes and other types of property issues that are going on within the economic base, this can ultimately lead to you know, economic stress and, and potentially less property taxes that are generated to support debt service payments for those local governments. So that's the first sort of more near-term risk that we see within our credit ratings when these types of events occur and there's widespread property destruction following a wildfire or a hurricane in Florida. But longer term, as you mentioned, what our worry becomes is that people either can't move to these areas because maybe housing, housing costs are already high and then you layer on, you know, very high insurance costs and other property taxes that, you know, people have to pay to maintain their homes, it could squeeze certain demographics of people out of those communities. And I'll make mention of the fact that in both states, there are state-sponsored insurance vehicles that can help fill the gap when private insurers maybe exit a particular area because they just can't afford to continue to operate where there are very significant and pervasive physical climate risks. But, you know, in the short term, it's really that immediate destruction following uh, an event that that can sort of raise the red flag for us in terms of the credit rating. Yeah, thank you. Now, you, you bring up a good point that, as you say, even when uh, when private insurers have been loath to get into some markets due to obviously the, the environmental characteristics being unfavorable, there are government-sponsored entities that will do that, but obviously the, the bill comes due for everyone at, at some point, I suppose. So it's really a very worrying trend and something that, that I'm sure as credit analysts, we all should be keeping our eyes on to ensure uh, that, that this is being fully reflected in the ratings here. 
And obviously, too, when you talk about housing affordability, it's problematic from a stakeholder perspective, in addition to being problematic from a, from a broader credit perspective. I think it's fair to say that, you know, in, in the United States, this idea of uh, owning your own home, it's certainly part of the so-called American dream. And here it looks like in certain parts of the country, according to your research, you know, that's a little bit dubious. That's that's in doubt for a lot of people. And as you say, it does kind of affect more vulnerable populations more so. Exactly. And in our research, you know, California, according to the sort of the U.S. average and in 2019 dollars is 37.7% of the monthly housing income of, of a commute of a family is dedicated to you know to housing costs which is significant when you're talking about nearly 40 percent of your income going to you know your mortgage your insurance costs property taxes and maybe other payments that you have to escrow into that uh, for future distribution well so if we if we look at a couple other stakeholders here if we, if we think about regulators we think about insurance providers, they're obviously taking notice of these growing risks as well. How are they responding to it? Are they responding to it at all? Well, in each state, typically there is a body of insurance regulators that can approve certain increases annually to the premiums. And so, you know, that somewhat can constrain the escalation of costs year over year. Um, In our research, we point out that the most recent increase for California insurers was you know, about 6.9%. In Florida, the most recent increase uh, requested by the Citizens Property Insurance Company, which is one of those state-sponsored insurance vehicles, was 8% for homeowners. And, you know, when you think about that in isolation, it's not significant, but year-on-year increases around that same magnitude can really become quite expensive. Um, the other thing I'll make mention of is that, you know, this this was an issue for the Florida state legislature this year, and they actually convened a special session after the normal session ended to sort of deal with rising insurance costs for homeowners as it had been raised up to, you know, constituents from constituents that this was becoming something very significant for them to afford annually. They ended up passing two bills, and they think that those bills over the course of the next 18 months will definitely help to sort of stave off additional increases for homeowners in terms of their premiums. Okay, that's that's very interesting. And I think it's fair to say that when we look at climate risk, the past is probably a poor indication of what's going to happen in the future. And so certainly this is a fluid situation and something that we'll have to keep uh, keep taking note of, obviously, to the extent that these climate risks become more acute and more serious. I'm sure this question will be revisited as the costs continue to grow over time. Now, if I had to ask you, if we look ahead a little bit, how do you anticipate that some of these factors are going to influence our credit ratings for U.S. local governments? Well, typically, the areas in California and Florida that we looked at have experienced pretty significant demographic growth and economic expansion, just given the fact that they are desirable places for people to live. And that has really helped buoy the credit ratings either in the form of stability or, you know, have maybe migrated 
upwards a little bit over time relative to the fact that the economy, the diversity, the um, demographic growth, all of that helps generate revenue for the local governments and their ability to support their operations and ultimately including, you know, expanding services if necessary. And at the end of the day, what we're most concerned about has allowed them to pay their debt service costs in full and on time. I think over the longer term, what our worry is that this, the rising costs of, of homeownership affordability and therefore, you know, somewhat stemming from these higher insurance costs could lead to sort of economic stagnation or decline. And, and when that happens, governments sort of have to pivot and figure out a way to control their operational costs or determine new revenue raising uh, availability to, to support maybe stagnation or decline in their property taxes. So I think in the longer term, our, our real worry is that these areas, which just have grown so, so much over the last 10 years, will maybe stagnate or even contract um, in the longer term. And as we mentioned earlier, our main worry is that some of these communities may just become a little less diverse and a little less robust relative to the types of, of uh, people that are can afford to live in these communities. And then I think the last item is sort of our worry that what if people living in those areas would want to move and, and can't even sell their homes because of the fact that the affordability is significantly more, it's maybe somewhat uh, difficult to get insurance even to cover your homeowner, your property um, in the long term. So I think it's really that balance between the ability for governments to pivot and modify their operations in the face of maybe slower economic growth or even stagnation or decline, and then also how the communities may change over time relative to the diverse aspects that may exist now, but but could wane in the future if only certain people can live in, in these states and in these regions. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of thinking about this. I know we've often talked about the, the term climate refugees, and this kind of sounds a little bit like people, uh, some people may be either forced from their homes or find it very unappealing to live in the places they do right now, but not necessarily have a lot of great options. For, for moving, for the reasons you say, obviously, if, if uh, someone wants to move out of their home because of the climate risks associated with living there, then it's going to make it less desirable for anyone to buy it, which obviously is a pretty serious problem if you're trying to sell a house. Absolutely. And, and we talked a lot about California and Florida here. You know, are there other states, they've obviously faced really significant climate risk, but are there others, other parts of the country that we should be keeping an eye on to understand whether climate risk is going to potentially either undermine credit quality for, for states or local governments, but also impact stakeholders disproportionately? Well, I think one of the things that I, I always talk about with market participants is the pervasiveness of inland flooding and, and how inland flooding is sort of the secret environmental risks that maybe people don't associate with climate change. But all areas of the U.S. are really exposed to this risk. And, and inland flooding is actually a, a much more costly uh, risk to mitigate and adapt to because of the fact that it can occur with much more frequency than these acute events like wildfires and, and hurricanes. So I think, you know, we, we are looking at these risks comprehensively when we talk to issuers in U.S. public finance. And 
in the most part, I think governments are sort of naturally inclined to handle emerging risks over time, but they are costly and they are things that, you know, can um, crowd out other types of operational needs and, and investments that might be required when you're associating or allocating more resources to deal with physical climate risks. The other thing I'll say is that We've started to see, although Mike, you know, and, and I know that dealing with our colleagues, maybe in Europe, there's a little bit more tendency towards adaptation of infrastructure. And in the U.S., that's really beginning to catch hold. And I would say that we are starting to see issuers implement adaptation infrastructure so that they're looking at different climate scenarios and, and considering how they're infrastructure investment would need to adapt relative to those different scenarios and different warming trajectories. So I think we're starting to see all of that help sort of pan out. And, and over time, I think it will become a much more integral method that governments will use to mitigate climate risks going forward. Um, but I would say, unfortunately, the U.S. is so big that climate risks are, are really prevalent in, in most regions in the U.S. And they might be slightly different. Some may be more natural disasters, like in the Midwest with tornadoes, whereas, you know, uh, climate hazards along the Gulf Coast, Florida, areas of Texas and, and other places in the U.S. Um, are definitely a little bit more of an exposure. But at the end of the day, it's, it's something that we're, we're talking to all issuers about um, relative to how they're mitigating these, these areas to ensure that the climate risks are, are being taken into account when they're thinking about their operations. Well, it's, it's certainly true that there's no part of the United States that would be spared, I think, from the physical impacts of climate change. And, you know, you, you bring up the point about adaptation and resilience. It's one of those kind of odd, odd investments. It's, it's a necessary investment in some ways. But obviously, there's a lot of upfront costs associated with it, which, as you say, it comes at the expense of maybe other, you know, other items that are also important. And at the same time, the, the revenue or the benefit from it is in, in in phrase in terms of avoided costs at some point in the future, which you can't really specify. So it's, it's easy to see why it's, why it's controversial, even though perhaps it shouldn't be. But, you know, as they say, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. And certainly even in places of the country where climate change has not been thought of as a major issue for whatever reason, now they're seeing that, that they need to address it, at least from an adaptation perspective. And we're starting to see solutions at the local government level, which I think are making a difference. And hopefully that'll be widespread enough to actually prevent some of these catastrophes from having the financial impacts you refer to in the future. Well, Nora, thank you for joining us today and for sharing your vast knowledge on this topic with us. Thanks, Mike. I really enjoyed being here with you. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Buzz. You can access Nora's commentary, Storm Clouds or Clear Skies Ahead, How Rising Insurance Premiums from Environmental Physical Risks Could Affect U.S. Local Government Credit Ratings, on our website at spglobal.com. Catch you next time. To subscribe to Beyond the Buzz or to view our analysts' research, go to spglobal.com forward slash ratings. Thanks for listening and tune in for our next episode.